Hello. Having a stroke is something many of us associate with older people, but that's not always the case, as we find out in this week's interview with a courageous stroke activist who's been telling staff at UN Geneva how he managed to learn to speak again. In Yemen, the International Organization for Migration has issued a warning about the tens of thousands of migrants from Africa who continue to be trafficked, shot or worse, as they make their way across the war-torn country. While in Sweden, the UN Secretary-General has explained how all of us can take a stand to save the environment. Back in Geneva, North Korea's missile tests have prompted strong words at the UN's top disarmament forum, while 100 days of war in Ukraine have had predictably awful results for most of the country's youngsters, as UN Children's Fund UNICEF explains. Last but not least, we'll also hear a potentially promising COVID immunity update from the World Health Organization. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. First, the news. In Ukraine, at least two children have been killed every day and many more injured since the Russian invasion on the 24th of February, UN humanitarians have said. On Wednesday, the International Day for Protection of Children, UN Children's Fund UNICEF highlighted the devastating and lasting consequences of the war on millions of the country's youngsters. Most victims were from attacks using explosive weapons in populated areas, the UN agency said, adding that an estimated 5.2 million Ukrainian children need humanitarian assistance, 3 million inside the country and more than 2.2 million in refugee-hosting countries. And as intense artillery exchanges continue between Russian and Ukrainian forces in eastern Donetsk region, UNICEF said that almost two in three children in Ukraine have been displaced by fighting. To Yemen, where despite an ongoing war, there's been a rise in the number of migrants sailing there from the Horn of Africa, only to find themselves being shot at, exploited or worse, once they arrive. That's the message from the UN Migration Agency, IOM, which has said that nearly 28,000 people have already crossed from East Africa to Yemen in the first five months of this year. That's more than for the whole of last year. Here's IOM spokesperson Paul Dillon in Geneva on Tuesday. Upon arriving in Yemen, migrants face perilous onward journeys to the Gulf countries where they're looking for work. They often travel across conflict front lines and face grave human rights violations such as detention in inhumane conditions, exploitation and forced transfers across the lines of control. Every month, hundreds of migrants are treated for gunshot wounds at a hospital that the agency supports near the border town of Sada. Humanitarian partners have also reported that over 1,000 migrants, including women and children, have been injured or killed by attacks and deliberate targeting at the border this year. Global well-being is at risk and it's in large part because we haven't kept our promises on the environment, UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has said. The UN chief issued the stark warning on Thursday to the Stockholm Plus 50 summit, which marks half a century since world leaders pledged to prevent nature loss so that humanity could enjoy peace, prosperity and sustainable development. Among the UN chief's recommendations, he repeated his call to all countries to abandon fossil fuel subsidies and invest in renewable energy and to develop nations to at least double support to poorer nations to adapt to a growing number of climate shocks. Part of the solution lies in dispensing with gross domestic product, or GDP, as a gauge of countries' economic clout. The Secretary-General continued, describing it as an accounting system that rewards pollution and waste. He added, let us not forget that when we destroy a forest, we are creating GDP. When we overfish, we are creating GDP. It is not a way to measure richness in the present situation in the world. 
to the ongoing COVID pandemic and new data from the UN Health Agency that suggests that people who've been infected with the Omicron variant can expect limited protection against catching it again. Latest evidence also suggests that immunity against severe COVID illness is more robust among those who've been infected by the coronavirus and vaccinated against it than it is for people who've only been infected or only been jabbed. The priority for national health agencies should be to vaccinate all adults, focusing on healthcare workers, people with low immunity and older people, the World Health Organization said. Geneva is home to the world's top disarmament forum and it's where recent missile tests by the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, DPRK, were in the spotlight this Thursday. DPRK, or North Korea, faced criticism from mainly Western nations at the Conference on Disarmament, where it's presiding over a new session of discussions this month in line with the rotating presidency system. On behalf of dozens of nations, the Australian delegation announced that it was gravely concerned by the DPRK's continued efforts to make weapons of mass destruction, and by reports that the country was preparing to carry out its seventh nuclear test. Since the beginning of 2022, the DPRK has conducted an unprecedented series of missile tests, including launches of intercontinental ballistic missiles, alleged hypersonic weapons, ballistic missiles with the stated intent for the operation of tactical nuclear weapons, and at least one submarine-launched ballistic missile. These tests are all clear violations of United Nations Security Council resolutions and demonstrate the DPRK's continued efforts to expand and further develop its ballistic missile capabilities. North Korea's Han Tao Song rejected the criticism levelled against his country, saying there was nothing new in the allegations. The headlines there, and now to this week's interview. Did you know globally that there is one stroke every three seconds? That's alarming in itself, but did you also know that stroke attacks can affect young people too? That was the case for Louis Gustin, who at 25 suffered a debilitating attack which affected his speech. Fast forward six years and today Louis has just completed a tour of Lake Geneva on his bike, aiming to raise awareness about strokes and stroke prevention. He's on the line now. Hi Louis, how did the bike ride go? Yes, hard, but mostly hard for the conference. Three in France and four in Switzerland. So you made seven stops around the lake to tell people about your stroke, which you had six years ago. Can you tell us what happened seven, to you? Seven years. I beg your pardon, which you had seven years ago. Can you tell us what happened to you, please? I was born in 1990 in France, in Metz. I went for Erasmus in Warsaw, Poland. And I got the information that I can go back in Warsaw to celebrate my diploma. So I went back in 2015 and I got a stroke and I couldn't speak anymore. Not French, nor English, and I knew a bit of Polish. First, I relearn French, but before I speak better in English. So I'm sorry. No, no, you're doing very, very well. It's fine. I wonder, without wishing to probe too much, what happened when you had your stroke? Just so that other people can understand how to recognise when a stroke is happening to them. I'm not a doctor. I didn't study medicines. My girlfriend is a doctor now and I, she had a stroke. Your girlfriend also had a stroke? Yes, but she didn't have the same stroke as I, because I got aphasic. 
So aphasia is when you lose your ability to communicate your linguistic skills. So as you say, you had to relearn how to speak your mother tongue, French and English and a bit of Polish. So very impressive. But your girlfriend, Elise, I believe her name is, yes. she had another stroke. And how was she affected? The same as I, we got rehabilitation for four years and we get rehabilitation right now. But now we work for the ministry in, in Paris and my girlfriend is now a doctor close to Anmas. That's amazing. So both of you did this tour of Lake Geneva, as I understand it. Yes. Today, you're the president of the Aphasia Association of Mont Blanc and the Haute-Savoie. Can you tell me, because you made a pit stop at the United Nations here in Geneva, what did you tell staff here? What was your key message to them? My main topic was we want to be the ambassador of disability around the world and Europe. We did a tour by van in 2019 all over Europe to tell that we had a stroke and we can recover. And we did make some projects and achieved them. Yes, I mean, it's very impressive that you learned to speak again. How hard was it to have to go through that mental uh, and, and physical impact of having a stroke? I mean, you must have had some very, very low moments. I'm sorry, but it was a catastrophe for me and for my girlfriend. But we did rehabilitations and we managed to have work today. And in September, we are going to make another tour of the Lake Dancy by bike also with a lot of person we know. Louis, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And if you'd maybe stay on the line, because we have in the studio Kira Kruglikova, who is the head of conference management here at United Nations Geneva. And you are responsible, Kira, for a mind-boggling 12,000-plus meetings a year. That gives you an idea of the maybe the stresses that you're under, and maybe that was one of the motivations why you decided to invite Louis into UN Geneva to talk to staff who've had a lot to deal with as has everybody out there over the last few years. Well, I think it's a sense that this is something for the elderly. But of course, it isn't. You know, now it's true that there's fewer younger people who can have a stroke, but this can be, have a huge impact. It's one of those things, maybe it's less common, but it can certainly happen. And when it does, it can change people's lives. So the sense was we need to let people understand this is something that could happen and learn just a little bit about some of the symptoms and how do you know that you're having a stroke. But in addition to some traditional things that everyone's doctor tells them, you know, about limiting alcohol, getting exercise, things like that, I think it's really important that people do their best to manage stress, whether it's at work or at home. We've recently here, as has the entire world, when COVID came in 2020, it was March 2020, there were a number of things happening at once. The UN was already experiencing stress from the liquidity crisis, which required people to really think about doing things differently to save resources. You mean member states weren't stumping up enough to pay their membership dues effectively, so that was providing a lot of stress to workers who weren't sure about whether they were going to get paid for one thing. Exactly. And liquidity crisis sounds very clean and sanitized, but what it meant was the question of not having enough cash to pay the bills. Then COVID came, which required us to change how we did all of our work. You know, we left March 2020. People said on Friday, take your laptop. Maybe you won't be back next week. And it was months before people came back to the Palais. We also had at the same time, this was sort of a trifecta, the strategic heritage plan, which did very important. There was the work from building the, the H building, and there's also they were closing various conference rooms, et cetera, moving staff, because the building needed renovation, and that's a dire need. 
So these three things were happening all at once. This created a lot of stress, a lot of stress of people. We don't need to go into that. Everybody who lived through it remembers it. But just if I could, my own personal anecdote, one of the things that I do to manage stress, two big things. One is I dance regularly. And the great thing about dancing is you cannot dance and think about other things at the same time. It requires you to just get into that flow. And always people talk about that flow state. So I know people who do other things, they paint, they knit. But if something you do that consumes you to the point where you're not thinking about your worries, this is huge. This really is huge. And then afterwards, you have some better perspective and you've had some mental space. The other thing that I really prioritize is getting outside. And it's very important. And I notice here in the studio that there's a collection of pine cones. Even this morning before I started my day, I went for a walk out in the park. And we're so blessed with this beautiful park. And yes, I picked up a pine cone and I have my own little collection of natural objects. I picked up one of those. It had a little caterpillar in it. So watch out. I put Uh-oh. it back where you found it. <laughs> That's <laughs> Stop good. Stop pinching things from the park. Goodness me, Kira. <laughs> Well, it doesn't leave the premises. It's still sitting in my office. But that, I think, is really important. Get outside. Look at things that are bigger than you. You know, my mother always said to me when I would be upset as a kid, she said, are you going to remember this in a month? Are you going to remember this? And so many things people get wound up about pass. Sure. That's a really important point. And I guess we could all do more to get out of the studio. But I think people might also be keen to know, Kira, how does the United Nations help bring in people who might have had a stroke, who might have disabilities? So for conferencing, Geneva is the home of the Committee on the Persons of Rights with Disabilities. So we're very cognizant of how important this is. Some of the things that we do. There are hearing loops available in the conference room that's supposed to help with hearing. We also, for certain meetings, provide closed captioning. My hearing isn't what it used to be. So I find, whether I'm watching TV, whether I'm a conference, it often helps me to read the captions that come along. Also, there's so much technology now when you're following by Zoom or elsewhere, they have closed captions as well that are automatically generated. Not ideal, but still can help people with that. We do provide Braille documentation upon demand, and some of the members of the committee actually have been blind. We have some blind colleagues who work with us, so we do support for that. And we also have sign language interpretation for certain meetings. Now, unfortunately, it's not available for every meeting, but there are efforts along those lines. And recently, with the Strategic Heritage Plan, one of the core precepts of the project is to make the building more physically accessible. One of the things that used to be an issue, if you're a wheelchair user and you wanted to pull up to the microphone, the tables weren't set right. So people wouldn't be able to get to where they needed to be. So one of the newly renovated conference rooms, that's going to be changed so there'll be space for people who are wheelchair users as well. Kira, many thanks for that, for the accessibility issues that you face as head of conference management and some of the measures that are being taken to address those. And Louis, thank you so much for sharing your story. Louis Gustin, president of the Aphasia Association of Montblanc and the Haute-Savoie. Perhaps if our listeners are interested in following up, they can do a quick search on their favourite search engine to find out the kind of events you're doing in the tour of Lake Annecy and, and another, I believe, later on this year, I think you said. <laughs> It just remains for me to thank you, Louis and Kira Kruglikova, for coming in to the studio to talk about the impact of strokes. We've just run out of time, I'm afraid. So thank you, listeners, for being with us for this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva and for following the work of the United Nations. We do appreciate it. And of course, we'll be back next week. So until then, bye-bye for now. (laughs) 